The past few weeks, we've left the upper room, it felt like. We're in a series called The Upper Room, looking at that moment in a room gathered together, celebrating the Passover meal that Jesus gives new meaning with his disciples just hours before he'll be arrested, betrayed, crucified. And over the last few weeks, we've left that room with Peter to, to see what his journey was like after he had been so proud and then failed so badly and then was restored last weekend, we heard, with Pastor Scott to Christ and given a continued work to do. Today, we find ourselves back in that upper room. So hit rewind, get back into that moment. We're back in the upper room. We're running into one of the most important things that Jesus ever said. So would you join me in John chapter 14? John chapter 14 will be in verse 1 through verse 6 this morning. John 14, verses 1 and following. And it says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The last verse. One of the most profound things that Jesus said. So profound, we're going to spend all of next Sunday on that verse alone. But did you catch at the beginning when Jesus asked his disciples what not to do? He asked them not to do something. What was that? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. It's easier said than done, isn't it? What were they troubled about? Well, Jesus had said six, seven times to this point in his ministry, once in the upper room itself, that he was going away. He was going away. I am going away. He had said that he would die. He had exposed how all of his disciples were more concerned about themselves and their status and their standing than about serving others as he had washed their feet. Jesus had shared that one of the twelve was a traitor, that Peter would disown him three times. In Luke's account of this moment, we we learned that Jesus shared that Satan was going to be attacking them. And in Matthew's account, we discover that Jesus shared that all the disciples were going to fall away. Put all of that together, the disciples were upset. They were worried. They were troubled. Everything was going wrong. Where did Judas go? Who who is the traitor? And and Peter's going to do what? No. Well, I mean, it is Peter. What's going on? And Jesus is leaving? Apparently, that last one is, is what maybe hit them the worst. They knew that Jesus was their hope already. I mean, where else could they go 
if it wasn't with Jesus. He was their leader. He was their security. And this was goodbye. Goodbyes are bad, Brandon and Claire. The more you love someone, the harder it is to say goodbye. Have you had to say a hard goodbye? Maybe it was a loved one passing away, or a child off to college, life, walking her down the aisle to give her away. Goodbyes can be hard. In the summer of 2009, I was madly in love with somebody, and I still am. But she was just my girlfriend then. That leaves things a little bit, you know, complicated. Because she was dating me, and I was you know, a little bit complicated. And I was going to be gone all summer long. I was a part of a, a ministry team for, for my uh, school, the college. I was going to be traveling around from, like, camp to camp all week long. I was going to have no cell coverage, no cell phone time. I was only going to be at best able to connect by a phone call for like an hour at like midnight Saturday night all summer long, right? Like it was going to, I was going to be gone. And I was, I was in the feelings about that reality. The thought of being gone from Ashton that long felt so hard for me, a young, love-struck college student, right? And the thought of her being able to be gone for me that long was a little bit nerve-wracking, right? Like, what's going to happen? Is she still even going to like me? Is absence going to make her heart grow stronger? Or, you know, is there going to be somebody else? And so, whether it was a good idea or not, I suppose I cannot commend to you, but I decided to create a journal that I would give to Ashton that she could write in all summer long for us to be able to share the summer afterwards. I don't know. Probably that was a chore. <laughs> Probably it was a little clingy. Admittedly, I was only going to read it when we were back together again. So it's like, great to see you. Give me that journal. Walk away. <laughs> what was I thinking, right? Like I, I wasn't thinking. I was in love. But a goodbye was troubling to me. I was searching for any way to keep us connected in the meantime. Anyway. It might have been an environment like that, perhaps with a little less love-struck eyes, where Jesus gave them this order. Let not your hearts be troubled. Stop allowing your emotions to be thrown all over the place. Don't let yourself be intimidated by this situation. You don't need to back down. It doesn't get to destroy you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. We should listen to Jesus' words right now. Don't be troubled anymore. Admittedly, the situation in the upper room was different than ours. They were about to see Jesus arrested and then crucified. But if what Jesus was saying to his disciples applies in the crucible that they were in, then there must be a way to calm our fears today out of the same truth. And Jesus doesn't just order them to have a stiff upper lip for no reason. 
He gives them a way to have their fears calmed. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus compares his command with what makes the command possible. The truth he shares is what we'll walk away with today. The way to calm a troubled heart is to trust in Jesus. The way to calm a troubled heart is to trust in Jesus. Specifically, we'll see four realities about Jesus that calm our worries. Four realities about Jesus that calm our worries. And the first is this, we can trust who Jesus is. We can trust who Jesus is. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. You trust God? Trust me too. Trust me too. Every faithful Jew, as he's talking to these disciples, every faithful Jew at that time would have no doubts about the trustworthy of God. Their history, their holidays, their scripture, their songs, they all spoke to a God who had steadfast love and who had been faithful to his word. The one trustworthy reality that every Jewish man and woman knew at this time was that in a kingdom that had risen and fallen with a history of tumult and captivity and famine and war, the one thing that had never changed as they looked back at their treasured national identity was that God was to be believed, was to be trusted, and could be counted on to do the impossible. So Jesus is saying to them, you trust God, trust me too. This is a not-so-subtle claim to deity, right? Jesus is saying, if God is trustworthy, so am I. I am the son of God. I have the words of God. I do the work of God. Trust me. The author of Hebrews would go on to say it this way. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is trustworthy. Trust who Jesus is. Jesus is trustworthy. We can believe him. The disciples, I imagine, were struggling with something that I think I struggle with today. It's often easier to know that God had been faithful in the past than it is to know that God can be trusted today. It's sometimes easier to believe that God has been faithful in the past. It's harder to know that God can be trusted right now. It's one thing to trust that God could be faithful in another person's story or in a time long gone by. But when Jesus is standing in front of you, talking about what you're about to walk through, all the uncertainty, all the challenges, all the fear, and yet he's saying, trust me, that's a little bit harder. You believe in God, though, he says, believe also in me right now. In this fear, in in this challenge, during this storm, against these odds. Trust me. Don't let your heart be troubled. And I expect that many people here today, as I've gotten to know your stories, you can agree with that truth. We can trust Jesus. You would say, yes. Too few of you have said, amen. But, you know, we'll give you a pass. Um, I think you concur with me, by and large. You agree. But do we live like that? Do we live like that? 
I've heard a tale. There was once a man walking down the road, struggling, straining under the heavy burden of a sack of potatoes. As he walked down the road, a farmer drove past with an empty wagon. And he noticed his wearied labor under his burden. And he stopped and he said, sir, would you like a ride into town? And the man said, yes, I would, exhausted. He jumped in the back of the wagon, crawled in, sat down. And the farmer took off. And as he began the drive into town, he turned around and looked over his shoulder. And he noticed that the man was still wearied and struggling under his burden. It was on his back still. And he said, sir, you can put those down beside you now. The man said foolishly, oh, no, I don't want to overload your wagon. Friends, Jesus is already sustaining us. He's trustworthy. You can put down your burdens now. Our anxieties and our worries can be calmed because we can trust who Jesus is. That's just the start of today. Verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Jesus kind of talks back and forth on himself here and reveals a whole lot, and we're going to dance around in this passage here for the rest of today. And this may be one of the more misunderstood passages, at least in my experience. I admit, I came into study this week expecting to say one thing. And as I looked at God's word, I walked away realizing I had some learning to do. Let's be careful to allow God's word to interpret itself and not force our hopes or ideas onto it. Jesus is saying, the way to a troubled heart is to trust in Jesus, who he is, but also what he's doing, what Jesus is doing. We can trust what he's doing. He says, in my father's house. Let's just stop there. What is he referring to? Jesus sometimes talked about the temple there in Jerusalem as his father's house. Sometimes he refers to that as his father's house. But in the context, he's talking about going somewhere else. He's talking about future-oriented things, preparations being done. He seems to be describing something more, the dwelling of God, the realm of God. Jesus is referring to what we call heaven, what we just sung about. In heaven, eternity, the Father's house. And he says, in his Father's house are many rooms. Many rooms. Now, this might read differently than a translation you or I grew up reading. Because of some sloppy translation work, many of us might have known this text to have said, in my father's house are many mansions. And so some people think that Jesus is saying, calm your hearts. Don't worry, because one day you're going to be living in a really, really nice part of town. Like a celebrity. And that feels pretty good. There's a little idle hope for our hearts in a difficult season. When we really think about it, does that sound like what Jesus says anywhere else? 
take comfort. You'll be materially rich in heaven. You'll have so many square feet of space all to yourself. It's an introvert's dream. (laughs) Just maybe bring a Roomba, right? But mansions is not what it says. It's not what he said. And no modern translations use that term. What he says is, in my father's house are many rooms, lots of dwelling places. The idea of this phrase is, hey, there's more than enough room in my father's house. Following the idea customarily in the time of a a patriarchal estate, a, a family home where there's a house and it's really just a room. You did all your cooking, all your living, all your work outside of it. You just slept inside of it. And when a son would get married, he'd bring his bride home to the new house. And that's a little awkward. They'd build a house right adjacent to it. You just have to add three walls. You got another room. The family estate keeps getting bigger. Just one room at a time, there's always a place for this family to grow. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's room for more, always more. We're not full yet. You're welcome here still. And we'll talk more about the Father's house in a bit, but Jesus goes on to say, listen, if there wasn't always more room in my Father's house, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That I go to prepare a place for you? What's Jesus doing here? Is he putting his carpentry skills to work, building these rooms still? Is this a no-demo rental deal? No-demo rental? Is it interior design? What is Jesus up to? What it means, or what does it mean, that Jesus is going to prepare a place for his disciples and for the believers who would join the family in time? I think the interpretive phrase here, the thing that kind of controls how we understand the whole passage is in verse 4 and then in verse 6. Because he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again, I'll take you to myself, and where I, where I am, you may be also. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. And he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Evidently, wherever Jesus was going to do whatever it was he was going to do, he expected his disciples to know the way there already. Which is a surprise, because Thomas disagrees, and he goes, wait a second, Jesus Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus says, I am the way. Let's keep track of our problems here. This is getting complicated. How can we have calm hearts? By trusting what is it that Jesus is doing at wherever it is that Jesus is going and how is he getting there? Because evidently we have to follow. Let's work it out. Jesus said, you know the way to where I'm going. If you sneak down to verse 12, Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Evidently, Jesus didn't mention his Father's house having lots of rooms for no reason. He was going to the Father at the Father's house. That's where He was headed. So how are we supposed to know the way to the Father's house? Let me fast forward to an answer, maybe to save some time. Jesus is essentially saying this. By now, 
my friends, my disciples, from all that I've told you, you surely know the way to, to where my father's house is. For me, it's both the way of shame and crucifixion and the way of glory and resurrection. I've repeatedly spoken about this, about being lifted up and betrayed and dying so that you must come to grips with the fact that although now I speak to you about going to the Father, I'm getting there by way of the cross. That's the way to where I'm going. Surely this you know by now. I've said this time and time again. Jesus is saying that the way to where he's going, the preparation that he is making, what he is doing on the way to the Father's house is enduring a cross, dying for them, and being resurrected to glory in the Father's house. The going of Jesus through his death and resurrection was the preparation for a place for us. Jesus is not going to decorate. He's going to die. He's not garnishing the interior of heavenly rooms. He's renovating the interior of human hearts. He's providing access to the realm of God the Father so that we could dwell with him in holiness forever. The problem wasn't how it was going to look to fit our fancy. The problem was that we had no right being there in the first place. So when Thomas says, um, Lord, what's the way again? Jesus, in essence, says, okay, my way is through the cross so that your way can be through me. I am the way. My way is through the cross. Your way is through me. Jesus is embarking on his way through the cross and the grave and his resurrection to the Father's house. And his redemption is our preparation to dwell in the Father's house. To prepare a place for us, Augustine said, he first had to prepare us for the place. The way to calm a troubled heart then is to trust what Jesus is doing. In context, what he was about to do, and for us, looking back on it, what he has already done. To rephrase the passage, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm leaving, but I'm going to make a way for you to dwell forever with God as I go. And there'll be a place for you there. Trust me, there's plenty of room. I've made a way home. Isn't that a better hope than a big house? My peace in this life's troubles isn't anticipating a million-dollar property. It's a sufficient payment for my sin. So he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me, I'm going to make a way for you to be prepared well for forever. And Jesus says and targets this in the realm of saying, don't be worried because I think sometimes we are worried because we think Jesus needs a preparation committee. And we're on it. We think he needs a team to prepare us to be there. We think he needs our help to get the job done. And preparing us to be with the Father, I'll use Jesus' words, it is finished. Trust what he was doing. And let go of any need or burden or hope to add to his completed work. Just receive Jesus, trusting in him, his work in your place for your sin, 
That is the way to the Father's house. And with that comes peace when we're troubled. The way to calm the troubled heart is to trust who Jesus is and what he's doing, and also to trust where he's located. We've already established that he's in the Father's house now. Heaven is a real place. Jesus calls it paradise when he's talking to his neighbor on a cross and inviting him home. In heaven, the Father's house, Hebrews 7.25 and Romans 8.34 tell us that Jesus is there and he's praying for us. And he tells his disciples here in our passage that he will bring them to where he is. He says in verse 3, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. I take that to mean in the Father's house, being with Jesus is the best selling point. I'm supported by Paul, so I feel pretty good about that. Philippians, he writes, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary for your account. In 2 Corinthians, he says, yes, we're of good courage. Maybe you might even say he's got calm in his troubled heart. We're of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What a comfort to troubled hearts to know that it is Jesus who makes heaven glorious. Jesus with the Father is what makes heaven paradise. We need to know that. We need to think that way. When we know that, when we think that way, it changes the way we experience what we walk through in life. The goal of heaven is not so small to merely escape from our trouble or to rest at last or to be made well. Though all of those things will be true. The goal is much greater than that. The truest joy of heaven is to be with Jesus. D.A. McGregor wrote a poem. All earth's flowing pleasures were a wintry sea. Heaven itself without thee. Dark as night would be. Lamb of God, thy glory is the light above. Lamb of God, thy glory is the life of love. Is that enough for us, I wonder? I think about myself in 2009. Thinking about a girl, would it have been enough for me to know I didn't need a girl, a relationship? With Jesus forever one day would be enough. Have we become so comfortable in our lives, that we have hope Jesus doesn't come back for a while. Because, well, you know, we pretty much enjoy it here. We're to enjoy the gifts as a means to love supremely the giver of the gifts. And Jesus reassures his disciples they can have calm in their worries with the truth that he is going away and that he will be the joy of their hope in heaven one day. He'll be there, and he will be enough. The way to calm a troubled heart is to trust Jesus. Who he is, what he's doing, where he's located, and why he is returning. I've skipped over it. 
But he says, I go to prepare, if I go to prepare a place for you, if I'm going to go through the expense and the cost of giving my life for you to have access to a heaven that has plenty of space for you, there's always room for you in the family. If I were to do that, believe me, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And then there's a sense where Jesus already returned in the resurrection back to life, already brought us to himself by making a home for the spirit to live in us as we respond to him and receive him. There's a sense in which this is already true. But more than that, the passage assures us Jesus is coming to bring his people home. He is. And he's telling his disciples, you might die, you might live, you've got to hope that way, and you've got to hope no matter what. I'm coming to bring my people home. He was going to leave them. He was going to prepare a way to a place. And then he would come back so they could be where he was. Jesus is saying to them and to us, trust me. Trust what I'm doing. Trust where I'm going. Trust that I'll return. And trust that all of this means you will be with me and the Father where we live. So don't be too unsettled by life's circumstances. Don't be too fearful of whatever tomorrow brings. Trust me, I'm doing all of this so we can be together forever. How's that sound? The way to trust, the way to calm a troubled heart is to trust in Jesus. But don't mishear me. Jesus doesn't say the way to calm a troubled heart is to know that everything works out okay in the end. He gives no such word and no such hope. The disciples lived proof of that. It often doesn't work out well. The rest of the lives of the disciples were one hardship after another hardship until they were, for the most part, murdered off. But what Jesus knows is that if you trust in Jesus and the preparation he's made for you to have access to the Father's house, everything will have a purpose after the end, and nothing will be able to change that. If you trust in Jesus and the preparation he made for you, everything will have a purpose after the end, and nothing will be able to change that. Knowing this, we can live with untroubled hearts and a troubling life. You know, our hearts are calmed. as We learn to trust in Jesus, who's proven himself trustworthy. And he's the reason each of those many rooms are going to be the best room in the house. Let's hope in him. Let's lay down our burdens on him. And let's walk through life knowing we have an unshakable future and an unshakable Savior.